The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good Monday from Birmingham, Alabama. Although it's a little rainy here at the moment. It's still been uh, enjoying my trip. You can check out that Instagram at Nate B. Duncan. But we're here to talk a little NBA. And let's start with a very surprising extension. Bobby Marks tweeted this, that the last two extensions done in August were Jonas Valanciunas and Michael kidd Grealchrist back in 2015. Uh, Serge Ibaka had one in August of 2012. That was a, a four-year, $48 million deal but i think the biggest difference to me and I, we haven't talked about this yet i don't know if you agree but the biggest difference to me between these ones that i just mentioned and karis levert's three-year 52 million dollar extension is that those other three were probably appeared to be pretty player friendly this to me seems very very team friendly there is a distinct chance that karis levert outplays this contract to me there were times last year especially pre-injury for me though he i mean he was one of their better players in the playoffs as well that he you know looked like he'd be a, dy- a dynamic player and could be a good fit but it is a lot of money and like this is definite starter starter money and Levert his place on a really good team is a little bit more nebulous you know like now that they're gonna have Kyrie for this year then Kyrie and KD looks like in 2021 2020 slash 21 that's gonna be a pain in the ass for like three more years and I I think that well, that's probably what you're getting at right is just the idea that the Ibaka like they're the Ibaka signing and some of the other ones it was you know it was good money but there was this a meaningful chance that they were going to outperform it and Levert had some real flashes last year but the idea that he's like a 20 or 25 million dollar player even as the slowly rising cap slowly rises I think that's a little bit harder of a sell than some of those other guys outperforming there so you disagree with me then you don't you know I, 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 I team friendly I, I I think it could be team, you know, this is why then why like to use my own term with the meaning of the NA test, why it's not necessarily rigid for every team. I think that Levert, I think that Levert could outperform this contract and could be worth it on a worse team. But I wonder, you know, because some of what he does best is with the ball in his hands, whether he will have that kind of value to the Nets. Now, again, if it does, it does, if he is more valuable than this to another team, then that's an easy thing that can, can be remedied at some point in the future. Yeah. So Levert started off like a house of fire, then obviously had. Uh, that gruesome ankle injury came back did not play particularly well was coming off the bench did have a very encouraging playoff run but it has been well below average in terms of true shooting in his career 51 percent a year ago league average is 55 56 percent these days but he did up his usage quite a bit 24 percent usage and showed some ability to pass the ball. i thought the most encouraging aspect of his performance was just his ability to win one-on-one and show facility and isolation you would like to see his three-pointer 
come along a, a little bit better uh, he's a 33 percent career three-point shooter to reach his potential that's gonna have to go up and he is this is gonna be his age 25 season here so he's not incredibly young and of course he also was coming off those foot problems at michigan and then had a, the ankle issue last year I, I was expecting this to be more along the lines of low 20 millions per year for four years now whether it was the nets decision or his to go those three years i'm not sure yet as a, of this point as opposed to four but the interesting thing to me this came in lower than i thought it would i'm not saying that this is a bad deal for Levert, but my thought was that with all of the teams that he actually would be a nice fit for you mentioned you know whether he's on a good team or not with his foundational aspect of a good team there's a lot of teams that are your more typical cap room teams this summer teams that are just looking to build in any way possible get some young talent on the roster and you are not huge cap destinations for superstars so they might be willing to overpay you know, a team like memphis comes to mind as needing maybe one more perimeter well and on, t- on top of that what levert could have done and i i agree with you that i think levert would have got Gotten, assuming no major injuries happened this year, I think he would have gotten more money if he had hit free agency next year, even restricted, because partially because the, the class is so weak, and partially also because remember that Brooklyn would be in this situation that some of the teams that Sean Marks leveraged into offer sheets when the Nets were the cap team and the other team was in the situation, because it's so hard for the Nets to improve. And so having the bird rights on Levert now that they spent all this money on other guys, and maybe another team would have given Levert a big offer, partially because they really wanted him, and partially to put a little bit of a squeeze on on a team that profiles to be when healthy one of the league's best another consequence here Levert essentially now cannot be traded until next offseason due to the base year compensation rules that give him a different incoming and outgoing salary so I had speculated that he is the logical trade piece for this team now getting him on this contract he's gonna have every chance with KD out to assert himself this year and he may start to look like he's going to outplay that contract to some degree it it is tough to find what category he falls into does he fall into the bench player spark plug you know i think he's got more length a little bit more defensive chops than that i think he could be a starter but certainly so much of his career so far is unformed and with the injury history you have to imagine from his standpoint that that played into it i was surprised to just see a deal that came in lower than i thought it would because usually you and I were we usually get surprised upward right like we're kind of more fiscally conservative than most of these teams are uh but to see this come in in August was the surprise to me and usually you would say that closer to the deadline is when something like this is going to happen especially a deal where you're not like wow this is a really player friendly one that's usually when it happens early right and why you rarely see it in August usually you'll see either okay the max deals get done in July and then everyone else they're not getting offered the max or close to it and so you need that deadline to push the guys together so uh this was a a surprise to me mostly from a timing standpoint and then i think secondarily that it wasn't four years and then third that it was you know probably three to four million dollars per year less than i was expecting especially because there's just so much money out there and it's also such a bad free agent class uh now i guess this is just risk avoidance here uh, by levert in case you know he were to get hurt again right and this ties in with something that i've been 
thinking about a lot for various reasons. This is most commonly comes up in the case of the guys that ended up not getting a super max when they could have, you know, Kyrie, Kawhi, numerous other guys, is that a non-max contract, more extreme than non-max in this case, is just still a lot of money. And so for Levert, yeah, maybe he's leaving 10, 20 million dollars on the table over the life of that contract over the three years, because obviously he'll have another chance to get on the market after that. And is that 10 to 20 million dollars worth the the knowledge that you have life-changing money, you can set everything up a year in advance when you consider his injury history, both in college and in the pros. So maybe we're going to see more of this where it actually ends up being kind of team friendly in the sense that it's not max or nothing like Chandler Parsons or something like that, because there is this, there is this mar- like comfortable living margin. I don't want to use that term because it's so much money anyway. But I think, I think that could open the door for some stuff. And one good thing for players I've, I've said for a long time is that not get, you know, I, I'm hoping that some of the stigma of, you know, not getting a max is removed because a lot of times it's the player that loses out by not coming to a deal ahead of time because they're avoiding so much risk. Yeah, and we've definitely been critical of some players and their representation who have not taken the money. Uh, Trey Lyles getting $5 million guaranteed from the Spurs. I'm guessing he probably could have gotten more than that in an extension or Nerlens Noel famously in restricted free agency a couple of years ago, turning down five years, $70 million. And But again, the surprise to me is all right, if this was really the best you could do on the eve of the extension deadline, all right, then maybe you do in fact take it. I just think from a negotiating standpoint, you probably could have squeezed a little more money out of him, uh, out of the nets, I should say, uh, if you waited it until the start of the season. Well, so. and especially when the opportunity cost for the nets is so small, because now that they spent more than $73 million on Durant and Irving for 2020, that it would be very hard for them to add players basically other than retentions, whether that leads to more leverage for a guy like Torian Prince now or Joe Harris, both of whom are going to be free agents for the Nets next summer. We'll have to see. But yeah, it's... it's sets the table for I mean I'm fascinated for what this extension window is going to look like for those non-max guys and maybe this opens the door for some more non-max extensions whether they end up being team friendly or not will will have to depend on the player and the contract sign yeah and this cuts both ways now right to have one of these guys off the market let's say you are now Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram or Buddy Heald or Bogdan Bogdanovich or DeJounte Murray those those are probably the most prominent other restricted free agents going forward here. This isn't a great data point in terms of setting the market for you. You know, I'm sure some of these guys are wanting more than 20 million a year. And, eh, you know, I, I'm not sure whether you would say Jalen Braun and Brandon Ingram are in a better situation than Levert. Both those guys are a lot younger. Uh, you know, Heald is 27, obviously, but, you know, had a really good season last year. So it might be eye of the beholder on a lot of these guys with the potential and, and how they look in training camp and just what they've done so far their position what you need as to like whether Lavert is a better restricted free agent than Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram I guess I would probably go with both of those guys over him but just due to position perhaps but you can argue Lavert has shown the most creational ability of those guys even if it was only in flashes so it's gonna be a little bit of a game of chicken here because to get the extension done the team is gonna be pointing to Karis Lavert and saying hey you know this is this now sets the market you guys should be right in that range or maybe you know a million or two above there and so that's a bad data point for them but then there's money with these potential restricted free agent offer sheet teams next summer and so you might say well Levert's off the market now we feel very confident we can get an offer sheet for one of these teams if we play well so now you need to pay up more uh, and sure there's a lot of risk there I think also 
also for Levert the three years you know perhaps the Nets were like hey you know what if you want only three years you are gonna have to take less on an annual basis I mean you know there's nothing saying they had to offer him a three-year deal or you know they might have wanted to go four years and so maybe he bought his freedom by going less and maybe that's a decent strategy because you still get your life-changing money now and then you can get back out there at 28 when he would still presumably be in his prime and if he really turns into just an unbelievable player then he can just get that huge payday at age 28 still if you know to maintain that upside to some degree well and remember that spencer dinwiddie got fewer years than than we anticipated as a possibility he got the player option though you know that's i was expecting there'd be a player option here and there isn't that's how i was going to talk about the chronology of the nets contracts briefly and yeah we we would assume because generally the terms that come out first are more player friendly that if there was a player option we would have already heard about it so if we could run by that assumption dinwiddie has a player option for 21 then irving durant have one for 22 and then deandre jordan and lavert will not be free agents until 23 so that's the way it shakes out as of now with joe harris and torian prince being their prominent 2020 agents and jared allen restricted in 21 yeah and perhaps there's some value in staggering all of those uh, anything else you wanted to say uh on this deal here no i think that's about it Got a little bit more news-wise here. Quickly, in Sacramento, uh, the Kings and the NBA have concluded their investigation on sexual assault allegations against Luke Walton and uh, the civil suit. The conclusion was that there was not a sufficient basis to support the allegations against Walton. Now, his accuser has no real reason other than possibly just revenge to engage with the nba and the kings and tell her side of the story and with there not having been a police report or anything else they probably asked Luke walton and he said it didn't happen and that's really the only evidence available to them so this doesn't surprise me it could turn out that at trial this might be revisited but they're really regardless of what you think of these allegations and any you know, of also for the woman to jeopardize her civil suit against walton doesn't make any sense right now by talking to the nba and the kings that would all be admissible uh, at trial communications with a, a third party and so she wants to control that just with her deposition instead you just don't want to have like a bunch of statements out there where you just could have the messaging be inconsistent you know just as a lawyer you don't want your client doing that no matter what the type of case is so maybe this will get revisited if and when this case goes to trial and but for right now this was really the only outcome that realistically was going to happen with regard to this where you you know, there just wasn't going to be evidence against Walton to where his employer or the NBA would be suspending him or something like that, uh, given the facts that we're aware of right now. Yeah, I, I think it's important to go through the structural differences, you know, as you said, between this and like a, an investigation that has the full weight of and participation of the accuser. And there's there are reasons why yeah. or, there's... or a criminal investigation. Exactly. Yeah, those those go through very different channels. And so this is not a surprising outcome with that. And but I mean, it does it does certainly sound like Walton will be coaching the the Kings for the foreseeable future and then pending we'll see what happens with the outcome of of the other the other matters once once they resolve which could be a while for now we'll have to see the other piece of news is we have a at least a resolution for now of the Lakers center question in the aftermath of DeMarcus Cousins tearing his ACL they were reportedly looking at a number of options for center and they have a, they have chosen Dwight Howard Dwight Howard will sign a non-guaranteed contract and notably took 
took the full amount, basically the veteran's minimum amount, so what he would actually would be get paid for a full season as a buyout from the Memphis Grizzlies. So that's a pretty good piece of business for them. Remember, they did that trade where they basically, they traded away CJ Miles, who was paid more than Dwight Howard. And then now this makes the margin even greater because Dwight Howard left a lot, left a lot of money on the table. And I've heard some say that this is a riskless uh, riskless thing for the Lakers. I agree with that, but I also want to push back on it a little bit because of this idea of replacements and opportunity cost. So it is much less likely now that the Lakers will have an open competition for the spot that looks like it is Dwight Howard's. And so theoretically, having Dwight Howard instead of some of the other options that could have theoretically been there, whether or not those are inspiring depends on who would have taken that training camp offer probably from the Lakers. But there is that there is that cost there of saying this is our guy because of the other opportunities that will be foregone because they signed yeah that's a great point when and something that you've focused on a lot is the idea of the organization being like all right we have our solution now and just not entertaining other options necessarily whether it be by trade uh, or signing or whatever the case may be howard you know we haven't seen him in a year now first off of course uh, he was not exactly the most popular person with the los angeles lakers he's uh not particularly popular just about everywhere that he's played uh, maybe he'll uh have a reconciliation in orlando uh, eventually but really has yet to leave anywhere on good terms uh, his teammates really don't seem to care for him that much uh, whether it's some of the uh, ego about being a superstar which you know, he seems is making all the right noises about you know just wanting to come in and play a role and supposedly he was warned about zero tolerance or or whatever going forward here you know we didn't really get a chance to see how he fit in in washington uh, from a chemistry standpoint the other thing that you hear about howard is isn't even necessarily that he's a bad guy but just that he's like very childish and annoying to be around on a regular basis with uh, all of the like fart jokes which you know might be funny the first time and are a lot less funny the 907th time you know perhaps being an example of that the player howard has looked increasingly immobile as the years have gone on pretty much uh, by the end of his time even in atlanta was unable to leave the paint he still is a pretty solid rebounder i think he can uh, provide that element his finishing around the rim has waned. We'll have to see. I mean, this is now a number of back issues that he's had. This piriformis issue uh, with the glute was related, uh, obviously, to all the back issues that he's had uh, as well. So is he still going to actually have the explosion to get up around the basket and either block shots or finish alley-oops? Remains to be seen. You know, I think it's even money whether he or JaVale McGee is a better player. The other thing you mentioned in terms of opportunities for gone is simply finding a way to coax Anthony davis into playing more center and lebron james into playing more power forward as we talked about last time which uh, i believe is their most potent lineup combination one other thing quickly bobby marks noted this that the lakers will presumably have what's called an exhibit nine in dwight howard's contract because it is so lightly guaranteed that if he suffers an injury in training camp they won't have to pay him the whole thing now maybe the lakers because they have so much money and they're not going to be into the tax maybe they don't do that as a sign of goodwill or something but they they will probably be protected in that case well, you could be protected from a bad night's sleep by getting a mattress that is actually made for you. Helix Sleep was just awarded the number one best overall mattress of 2019 by both GQ and Wired Magazine, but they have been number one in my heart since at least 2015 when I reached out to them after first trying an inferior mattress delivery company that was one size fits all, being dissatisfied with it, returning it, and then my wife found Helix Sleep 
and we've been having fantastic sleep ever since and now own three of these mattresses if you're a side sleeper you're a hot sleeper whether you like a plush or a firm bed with helix sleep no more confusion no more compromising in fact you and your partner can even get it split down the middle for your preferences they have a 10-year warranty you can try it out for 100 nights risk-free and they'll pick it up for you if you don't love it right now you can get started with them at helixsleep.com slash cap space easy to remember that slash cap space url because we talk about cap space constantly here and that url will get you up to 125 dollars off all mattress orders helix sleep h-i or sorry h-e-l-i-x helixsleep.com slash cap space once again helix h-e-l-i-x helixsleep.com slash cap space to get up to 125 dollars off and let them know if that slash cap space url that you came from us all right we continue with the bottom half alphabetically of the western conference on our summer league wrap-up and i thought there are some really fascinating teams here a lot of guys that, that i enjoyed watching quite a bit and we'll start with the memphis grizzlies yeah so at first there was disappointment with the grizzlies because john morant the number two pick in the draft one of our favorites on film not only of this year but in recent years did not play still recovering from injury but fortunately the grizzlies still had plenty of talent on the floor and that was headlined by summer league mvp vegas summer league mvp brandon clark clark was the 21st pick in the draft out of gonzaga he was the most requested player for our film analysis that we did not do and i mean we had a lot of guys that we went through but he just because of his unusual defensive profile and everything else so i had seen him in you know bits and pieces i watched some of that duke and zaga game and i watched the zags a few times and he was he was more interesting you know defensively i've kind of wondered about where he was going to fit in had that but he showed to me a little bit more offensively than i expect you know just a little bit more comfortable in his jump shot a little bit you know very very efficient during summer league and that's going to be an important part of the brandon clark story as well because you have to be a two-way player in the modern nba yeah, the profile for Clark uh, was a vexing one, both good and bad. It was a transfer from, from San Jose State, six foot eight, but pretty limited wingspan, but also just an absolute jumping jack in terms of the stats put up uh, amazing defensive stats uh, with his playmaking you kind of wondered where it came from because very rarely will you see guys without elite wingspans be those type of defensive playmakers quick feet a jumping jack as well on offense finish around the rim for alley-oops but you wondered what his position was i mean he really profiled as the center but you know six eight less than a seven foot wingspan you wonder where that was going to fit in in the nba and so i thought the signs were very good for him as being as far as being able to translate that into nba basketball you mentioned his incredible efficiency rolling to the basket uh he was eight for 11 on rolls to the basket the jumper you know he took a few he was three for five on spot up jump shots uh it's still a little hitchy i don't know if it's gonna be a weapon it might be the kind of thing that he takes as a last resort you know as opposed to being like oh let's let's pick and pop for brandon clark here but overall i thought you know he also showed a little bit more ability to attack the basket with some ball skills he had 12 assists in seven games which considering his role is actually pretty good he was able either off the pick and pop or off of closeouts to make some plays in space either getting to the rim or making good decisions 
he just seemed to have a good understanding of pick and roll play overall switching the angle of his screens rolling out into space well creating the angle for the ball handler to make the pass and i thought he looked like he could play some more four offensively than anticipated and i think defensively he can hold up at that position right and i i they took the time also because he corks playing in summer league was shifted a little bit to the later side of it so it was less when i was there in vegas in person so watching film was i think necessary for him and with clark a basic part that i really liked about his game this was not a surprise to me based on what people like sam vicini had told me previously is something that you see from a lot of good defensive players in college which is that when they're quote-unquote out of position it's for a good reason like when they move and the guy that i last thought about this with was jaron jackson incidentally his now teammate with memphis which is that when jaron was at michigan state there were times where he was you know he left his man but he left his man to mitigate something else there was a, a play i think it was in the minnesota game where he left his guy in the corner but he left his guy in the corner to prevent a dunk that's what you want your defensive players to do and he would have been able to recover out had things gone differently and so he can do those parts of it more on recognition and feel which is really important and he there were times in summer league where he was making up the ground you know like if a a smaller guy got past him and i'm still skeptical that the the remaining athleticism jump from summer league to full-on nba that gets harder and harder and harder to do you know like you have less of a window if you've gotten beaten to recover but he has a lot of the other elements that i really really like i like his closeouts and just just the, uh, he, he he competes he stays strong when he's a bigger guy and a lot of things that i really like yeah and the defensive instincts uh, and playmaking despite the arms not being amazing you know if you can get your chest in front of guys it doesn't matter as much uh, how long your arms are especially if you have a good vertical leap a couple of quick hitters bruno caboclo now going into his sixth season in the nba but only 23 still uh the one thing that i saw from him that i really liked is he you know he had this 7-7 wingspan that was a big part of the appeal early on in his career he actually made plays defensively he had six steals and 10 blocks uh, some nice recognition at times as a help defender the jumper was awful four of 26 on spot ups uh he was a little more effective actually playing as a role man at the four and you know still not a passer he only had five assists in seven games uh, as they were uh, ran deep into summer league uh but you know he showed some flashes as part of that hard playing group uh, down the end under jb bickerstaff and you know, it seems like he's worth keeping around he didn't shoot it well but you know that's uh he's got more of a resume on that and then uh john conchar i think it's conchar uh was undrafted he's a two-way guy who mike schmitz has been high on what i was most impressed by is he's just it's a pretty rugged guy at 6'5 210 uh struggled to score 10 of 30 from the field he's he's shot it okay in college but he wasn't really looking to take the three at this level he's also 23 uh but he did have a crazy 14 steals in five games so i thought his defense and his toughness were most impressive you know, he kind of reminded me of like a, a two guard version of like a tj mcconnell type so it'll be interesting to see what becomes of him on a two-way in memphis uh what did you think of grayson allen's performance here with the grizzlies part of of course the mike conley trade he got a little bit of a late start because that wasn't consummated until july 6th so it was a little bit of a mixed bag i thought that when i watched him live alan looked much more comfortable with the ball in his hands and that is something especially for a player who has bounced on and off the ball in college and his year in the jazz for a player to make in their first and second year transition his pull-up jumper looked better mechanically and it you know the 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 stats didn't necessarily bear that out Allen was two for 24 on three-pointers which was a big part of why he had a 43 percent true shooting on 
23% usage. So I, I think that he can get, he can have an opportunity for backup guard minutes adding Tyus Jones. I mean, I think Tyus Jones is meaningfully better in that backup guard role, especially with John Morant being so inexperienced. But maybe at the two, we talked about um, previously a little bit about how like figuring out Memphis's rotation is going to be a little bit weird. So Allen, I think he deserves that shot. Oh, one other thing I want to mention with Clark, and we can do this with Allen as well. They have a lot of these guys that are a little bit older than you might anticipate Clark. Not that that has to be a huge deal. It's not destiny or anything like that, but Brandon Clark will be 23 before he plays his first real NBA game. Grayson Allen turns 24 before the start of the season. So again, it's not destiny. You can do anything like that, but these guys are a little bit older for better or for worse. Yeah, and Allen, you mentioned the struggles from three. He was 32 for 99 last year in the NBA from three. He did have that huge game at the end of the season in uh, garbage time, essentially a, a meaningless game, but he's going to have to shoot it better. You know, he's got to get to be high 30s from three or the theory of him just doesn't work out. Uh, you know, I thought you mentioned uh, how he looked on ball. Pick and roll, he was pretty good at all three levels scoring out of the pick and roll. Now, when he gets all the way to the rim, his shorter arms uh, come into play, even on his floaters uh, and trying to get extension around the basket. He's not really able to do that. The other thing I thought looked good for him was coming off of screens. He had one play where he came off the screen open and the pass was late. And so then the guy who was guarding him tried to shoot the gap and and get into the passing lane. And so as the pass was in the air, the guy wasn't going to intercept the pass, but he would have been right where Allen was. And so Allen actually then flared away from that guy while the pass was in the air. He noticed as the pass was in the air where his guy was. He had recognition of that and was able to create space around the screen for an open three. But of course, it didn't go in. And of course, it would have to be noted that he got thrown out of a game due to, uh, I think it was against the Celtics, due to uh, multiple cheap shots which uh, he kept his temper relatively in check. Of course, he had the tripping incidents in college, but this was certainly a regression from that point. Again, considering, you know, this is supposed to be an experienced guy here. Uh, Stuff like that is not going to help his cause. Uh, Last guy from Memphis, uh, Ivan Rapp. Cal product on a guaranteed contract for the 1920 season before he could theoretically be a restricted free agent. I haven't been too big on Rapp for a while, and this didn't, I mean, he, he played 20, two minutes a game so it didn't really move the needle much for me either five points six rebounds 1.5 blocks the blocks actually he had a couple of nice ones that i saw which looked good but you know 37 percent true shooting low usage i i just think that with those kind of spots yeah it's he's a minimum contract so it's not that big a deal but my instinct is you they have better guys they have guys like he shouldn't be ahead of you know obviously brandon clark or any of those guys in the rotation so yeah maybe you keep him around and see what see what he can do and maybe he surprises in camp but i'm not a huge fan yeah rab had some moments again uh, down the end there bad jump shooting was a big part of why he struggled so poorly 11 to 38 from the field uh, a lot of that was bad shooting out of pick and pop the three-pointer he's trying to stretch it out a little bit he took some aggressive ones overall was two for nine the path to success for rab was going to be kind of along the ed davis mold but he doesn't quite have that level of explosiveness and i was a little disappointed with only seven percent offensive rebounds room now he was playing a lot with clark he was playing outside a little bit more i think that was part of the mandate was to try to develop that part of his game the other thing where if you squint hard he might be able to show some skill is moving his feet defensively as a switch guy i thought he was acceptable in that role and they actually are are starting to build a 
the roster between Clark, Jaron Jackson, and maybe Rab, if you want to consider him as part of that caboclo of guys who are in that four or five mix who have pretty good feet. And so maybe they can do show a little more switching and versatility defensively, particularly late in the clock. But, you know, it, just in terms of the inefficiency, it was not a successful summer league for Rab. Um, let's turn uh, Minnesota, our director of basketball research, Ben Dole, and I are going to record on that in the next couple of days. That should be in the next episode. Same thing with OKC. So that brings us to the Phoenix Suns. Most of the big names did not play. Ty Jerome, Javon Carter, Cam Johnson. I guess in theory because they were part of the trades or something and they well, just didn't I, want to put them in there. I think what happened with them was sort of similar to Jarrett Culver where yeah. the trades got delayed a couple days and they're like, well, at this point, you know, we might as well just not play them at all. So that was that was really disappointing, especially because with Cam Johnson being such a con- such a criticized pick, I would have liked to have seen him in, as a, well regarded as a jump shooter. It would have been nice to see him in that setting. So that was disappointing. Instead, we the, the highest profile player that they had was Elia Kobo, a Kobo French player drafted 31st by Ryan McDonough, importantly, in 2018. It kind of seems like he's on the outs in Phoenix now that James Jones has control. And Ty, they drafted Ty Jerome, who didn't play for, in, in Summer League in the set in the late first. So, but Okobo did get the chance with Jerome not playing. He looked okay. I mean, he 8 and 19 from three was definitely encouraging. I, I had kind of wondered about his jump shot over the course of last year. But I was very concerned that Okobo only got to the line twice in 74 minutes, especially if a point guard has the ball in his hands and is going to be aggressive even if they you know if they're just getting there you want to see them get to the line a little bit more and he I remember that Akoba was very liked by the models not somebody that I got the chance to watch film on back when he was playing in France he had some big games though to be sure and he turns 22 early in the season so he's still pretty young so he might actually end up being a very early second draft opportunity for somebody especially because Akoba has a non-guarantee for 2020 and then a team option so if a team wanted to, they could get a basically a low-risk flyer on him unless Akobo beats out Jerome and some of the other options in Phoenix's backup backcourt. Yeah, it does seem like the writing may be on the wall for Akobo. It was nice that he shot the ball well from three, but uh, shot about the same 42% from two. And it was, you know, it's eight and 19. This isn't some, he uh, looked good shooting it. But my question to you is, you know, even if he develops in, you know, a way that you think would be on the higher end of his range, what do you see as like his role and his skill set being that's going to earn him a regular NBA job? It's a tougher question. I mean, especially his assist rate was shockingly low for a player who has to derive a lot of his value. I, I haven't seen him as a like a really dynamic catch and shoot guy or anything like that. He could end up being, because he's a, has pretty solid positional size, he could end up being that type of third guard who, sorry, sorry, uh, third point guard who can kind of slot and play next to him in a couple of different roles and then can be the backup either when the backup's hurt or the starter's out and the backup slides up. I could see him in that spot but and then if he improves a lot you know he's going to turn 22 or in the season if maybe by 24 25 he shows more skill as a pick and roll operator or something like that could be there but you don't see the the flat like the the real impressive flashes I mean we watched a fair amount of him last year as well the the kind of thing that goes oh he just needs he just needs time and seasoning that sometimes can be the case especially with point guards who take so long to develop yeah I mean he's got decent size I think his frame could fill out maybe he could become a solid defender in time the shooting ability 
you'll probably have to be his calling card offensively he's not an explosive athlete and you as you mentioned you know he's really more of a score the vision uh has been a major problem you know I, I think the Suns were not all that happy with what he was able to do just as a point guard in terms of running the pick and roll setting up his bigs etc uh I'm more excited actually about Jalen LeCue he reclassified into because uh, he had been in prep school rather than go to college he just declared for the draft was undrafted but was signed to two guaranteed years by the Suns and this guy popped to me I, I thought uh, you know you remember last year Anthony Simons who we'll talk about in a second was compared to Zach Levine I thought LeCue is kind of more like that uh, in terms of the skinny frame more athleticism than someone like Simons and 6'5", 6'8", wingspan, weighs a buck 85 right now. He's one of the most explosive leapers in the combine with a 35-inch standing vertical, 43-inch maximum vertical. Uh, now, he's extremely raw. The three-point shooting is not even close to a 1 of 5 on threes from NBA range. In AAU ball, he was 3 of 26 in the 10 games that Real GM has stats for from three. Um, some have talked about him as maybe being a 1. I see him as more more of a two but what popped uh, despite all of those uh issues as far as being raw is just his first step he was blowing by guys like when he was really just had a great feel uh with his first step especially to his left had a nice in and out dribble he got guys on his heels you could tell that guys were like really surprised by the explosiveness that he had he was able to get into the lane get fouled a little bit you know we didn't see the incredibly explosive dunks at least you know i watched about half of his possessions in the film uh, that i watched but just the pop that he had i mean this guy clearly has nba athleticism to get by guys and put guys on their heels and then while the jump shot wasn't going in for him he did have the ability to rise up from the mid-range and get a shot off his mechanics were very inconsistent he had some really bad misses even on what looked like pretty good looks from the mid-range so it may just be the case that he's going to struggle as a shooter so much that it's just going to be tough for him overall but you know, considering he just turned 19 in June, to just have the physical ability that he does, I think he's someone who can take advantage of the additional spacing in the NBA game. And for a, a guy who went undrafted, you know, he showed enough that I was like, all right, this guy probably should have got drafted at least. And LeCue doesn't have the full, you know, like the forward size. Like, yeah, it'd be great if he were six seven or six eight or something like that. But yeah, if he were that kind of height and had the same kind of stuff, he would have been drafted. But what I, I and I'm not going to praise the Suns front office a whole ton, but one one thing I, I do want to really praise them for with this is if you have a guy who has that kind of NBA caliber athleticism and the Suns are not exactly a free agent destination, especially not in the next couple of years, giving a player even two guaranteed years and then they have two non-guaranteed, technically the, the fourth is a team option, the whole Nikola Jokic situation where you can decline it and make him a restricted free agent. It doesn't, I don't think it's going to cost the Suns a ton, you know, like that, oh no, the 1.5 million they're going to pay him in 2020, even if it doesn't work out. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a chance that that ends up being bad for them but odds are that cost is going to be relatively low so if that's what it takes to get a player of that I, I wouldn't be surprised if Lequeux was somebody who wanted to go undrafted rather than get drafted late maybe end up being stuck on a two-way or something like that so, and that happens fairly frequently now and so yeah by all means the Suns the Suns can do that and hopefully he pops if he doesn't then it's not that big a deal so I mentioned I'm in Birmingham Alabama now on this road trip that started on July 13th how would you like 
to have an electric toothbrush that you started using on July 13th never went home and it still never needed to be recharged. I'm using the same toothbrush, the same battery from Quip Toothbrush. It's just one AAA battery that I started this trip with and it's got another month and a half, the battery life, not the trip, thankfully. I'm starting to get a little fatigued here, but uh, it's got another month and a half to go. That's the beauty of Quip. It's also just pretty much the size of a normal toothbrush. It doesn't have this huge base. You don't have this big charging stand that you have to take with you. And so it fits very easily in my dop kit and uh, been brushing reliably twice, sometimes three times a day, two minutes each time there's a timer it's got pulses every 30 seconds to tell you to switch quadrants of your mouth it's got this very useful cover that you can flip it around and it also works as a stand or you can mount it to the mirror in your bathroom i know a lot of our listeners are you know maybe you're in your first couple of apartments and it's an older apartment smaller you don't have a ton of space on your sink this now your toothbrush isn't going to take up anything on your sink especially if you have roommates that, that you have to deal with the brush heads will be automatically delivered that's another thing that people kind of mess up with brushing sometimes they don't actually change their brush heads often enough well you're probably who wants to do that when you have to go buy new brush heads all the time if you just sign up for their subscription program you don't have to remember that they just show up you snap them on and continue with great oral health the best thing is that quip starts at just 25 dollars. if you go to getquip.com slash capspace Get your first refill pack for free. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Capspace. Don't forget that slash Capspace URL to get that first refill pack for free. And, of course, let them know that you came from us. So let's turn now to the aforementioned Anthony Simons with the Portland Trailblazers. A lot of hype about him. He, like Grayson Allen, had an enormous game on the last day of the season, a game that Portland was trying to lose against the Kings. He ended up winning it for them, and then they made it to the Western Conference Finals finals and a bunch of people got extensions <laughs> as a result of a portland winning a game that they were trying to lose for some dumb reason uh but simon so what did you make of his stint in summer league coming off uh that successful end of the season for portland so it was a a pretty natural i talked about this a little bit with grayson allen transition kind of stuff from the first year to the second year where he just looked a lot more comfortable and he looked quicker to me with the ball in his hands you know i kind of that that level of you just you're not thinking about it as much so you can move faster and I mean, he's he's been quick ever since the first time i saw him and i happened to be in in Cox when Simons had one of his better ones. I mean, he, he had put up numbers all of summer league, but it was late in the game against the Jazz. Utah just could not stop him from getting into the lane in transition in the half court. You know, it, sometimes you, you think about the personnel on the other team and everything like that, but he he was helped key a Blazers comeback. And I'm still trying to piece together exactly what Simon's role is on a good team now. He's 20, so you don't want to you don't want to go too too full bore in terms of like yeah. oh this. I, is- I mean, but based on what you saw, if you had to predict, is this guy going to have a regular rotation role next year or not? What would your prediction be? I think he will. I, yeah, yeah, I, I think he will. I mean, well, or or maybe more accurately, will he deserve a regular <laughs> rotation role? That's a, that's a little harder. I, I think he's kind of on the fringe. To me, he would be you know absent team specific circumstances in terms of personnel. He would be the type of player where you'd have him as, you know, like your your fourth guard and then you'd have another guy around his quality and whoever does better gets the spot. That's more the way I think about it in an ideal world. With Portland, I mean, Olshay has done, he's been very aggressive in terms of believing that his holdover bench players or guys that they sign are going to be better than the ones that they let go. This happened with Connaughton and Shabazz Napier last year. It happened the year before that again. And, you know, Simon's 22 points, 4.3 rebounds, 1.8 assists. 
in summer league, made 11 of his 17 threes. But interestingly, so he was doing, he did a really good job of getting into the paint. He was not particularly effective in terms of the numbers, but also with the eye test as a pick and roll player. So I, I'm interested in terms of, that's again, in terms of how what his role is, is, is he an off-ball guy who could be a secondary creator, kind of going along lines with what I thought Zach Levine always should have been and should be now? Yeah, maybe that's probably, that's probably best for him, especially if his jump shot is good enough that teams respect it. Well, and his jump shot is good enough. I, yeah, I think I that's, even going back to last year, the first time I saw him shoot, I'm like, oh, this guy, this jumper is beautiful. He's got a bit beautiful arc. And he's actually kind of a similar sort of release to Steph Curry and that it's kind of more of a set shot now of course it's nowhere near as quick and nowhere near as good and 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 all that I mean nobody is Steph Curry but in terms of just the way that he gets his shot off now that low release point caused problems he got like a three-pointer block but he is very comfortable pulling up off the dribble from three and in today's NBA that in and of itself could make you a valuable player because of what it does to opponents pick and roll defense you know I thought he showed a little bit of facility getting into the lane and finding guys but you know that's not of strength for him at this point in time and then defensively i think is where it could fall apart for him uh, as far as getting a role this year i mean now portland's gonna have a lot of size behind him but i thought he just has zero physicality whatsoever he got beaten off the drill many times in a straight line without a screen even you know not necessarily in a closeout where he's at a disadvantage you know just it, like the first play of the game against the pistons he gives up a blow by to bruce brown uh where he was just you know not even really helping and then they throw it to brown and brown who's not a shooter by the way just blows right by him uh but i i do think he again considering his youth has a lot of raw material to work with i think he's probably my guess would be he's going to be kind of in and out of the rotation this year where they're going to want to give him minutes they want to give him a chance to develop a chance to seize a role but he's going to make so many mistakes defensively i mean he's just got to learn to compete harder i thought actually last year he competed a little bit harder defensively and i think this year he kind of came in of like well this is the year to show that i've arrived offensively and he just did not appear to be mentally locked in defensively so he's gonna have to work on that um nasir little really a disastrous summer league in my opinion he wasn't starting the first game they had you know gary trent coming back they, they had a bunch of guys in the backcourt uh but really i mean just from a statistical standpoint he did nothing and not only offensively you know this is a guy who's supposed to have elite athleticism and that maybe the skill level is going to have to come along you know and of course he had that dizzying drop down to uh, i think it was 25 and he had one block and zero steals in 70 minutes and only four offensive rebounds you remember in north carolina that was supposed to be a big part of his game the second jump the intensity and you just didn't see the him playing hard i mean and that's just the number one thing he's got to be able to make plays with his athleticism because that's supposed to be the strength of his game like that's the foundation on what's this going to be built on and then you start to work in the three and transition and maybe some opportunistic drives or post-ups to get him there but I mean, he just didn't play hard enough that was the number one problem as far as i was concerned well yeah and, and a good proxy for that so little played 70 minutes in in vegas summer league he had zero free throw attempts that, yeah that in addition happen. to the one block and the zero one block steals, zero, and, right? and he yeah. had a 12 usage like that's almost yeah. impossible like you just you should be creating through basic activity a few more shots than that he was one for seven on yeah. three pointers the the biggest yeah that's not encouraging either no. only shoot seven threes yeah i mean it was 70 minutes that's one every 10 minutes 
minutes. But, yeah, but the only positive for me was physically he looked a little bit bigger than I anticipated. And for a player like Little, I think that's actually a good thing just because then maybe that gives him a little bit more positional versatility at some point. But again, all the other stuff was negative. So I, I wanted to have a, a little a little bit of positive in there. But yeah, I mean, it could sometimes take these guys a long time. And so with Little, and remember, I mean, he was a very divisive prospect at North Carolina. So, and sometimes with those guys, people will rush to like declare victory early and then it can turn the other way. But the early signs were not yeah, and obviously Little had a great reputation coming out of high school, did not put much good on film at North Carolina, and uh, that continued here in Summer League. Gary Trent uh, had a very nice summer league you know within his established skill set most impressive to me you know i thought last year he you know it was a lot of long twos and he's still shooting those but he's also getting up a lot of threes and he hit 37 percent got up 46 threes in five games that is a really outstanding number there and you know maybe little can't be blamed as much playing next to simons and trent that he didn't get as many shots up but uh the other thing for trent he wasn't getting to the rim hardly at all i mean he took in the half court 58 jumpers and 11 shots at the rim uh but he was still very effective as an iso player with 23 points on 16 iso possessions again small sample there especially considering that a lot of those were getting to his mid-ranger now the other thing about a player like him he doesn't have elite athleticism he has great strength but if he's being guarded by a real nba defender is he going to be able to create that space in the mid-range you know he's strong but he's still really shooting guard size you know not quite really small forward size you know he might be able to defend some smaller small forwards but is he going to be able to have that same game where he gets to a spot creates the space with that strong body and is able to score from the mid-range you know that may not be it I was impressed with the deep range on his three just the overall number of threes that he was taking and then it's so it's really going to come down to him defensively you know he does have the strength you know he really needs to kind of turn into a Courtney Lee type defensively but I'm not sure his feet are that quick and I'm not sure that he has that level of a defensive mentality but he's got time uh to work it up to that uh for sure uh so i I, and i I think you know considering that pretty much everything he was doing was self-created other than transition i mean either iso or pick and roll his level of efficiency and the number of threes he was able to get up uh was encouraging yeah i got a little cranky watching trent i happened to be there for the beginning of the game against detroit and he was kind of forcing it a little bit too much that was one of his worst stretches and it did was a reminder of just how hard that self-created offense is and how much harder as you mentioned it will be against a real nba competition that's the threshold that matters it doesn't matter if you're an effective summer league player if you can't transition that but there are positive signs that that trend could be like theoretically a bench guard he has a fully guaranteed contract not only for the upcoming season but also for the following season so i would expect him to to be on the roster and whether he has a rotation spot or not is going to largely depend on 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 his role and as i said you know he's forcing those jumpers and i got frustrated but he still ended up in all of summer league while you look at the totality and not like hey he was irritating in these five minutes is 0.9 points per possession on jumpers off the dribble that's good did well in isos so and and made 80 made 82 percent of his 17 free throws overall so yep yeah, I, I i'm still skeptical that he he really slots into like a rotation role it's there are parallels with trent for me with like the conversations that are going on with like an aging carbello anthony where it's if you if a lot of what you do is self-created and you aren't good enough at self-creating anymore then those players are a lot less valuable but trent being on the front side of his career rather than the back side though obviously he's not starting from where Melo did then you give him a, you give him a little bit more latitude because you could expect that next year will be better than the current 
Sacramento, not a ton to talk about there. Justin James was drafted 40th overall, ended up getting two guaranteed years from Sacramento. They traded away Justin Jackson, and then they brought in another J alliteration of similar build, 6'7", 183 for James. And I didn't see a ton from him. He played six games, but you know wasn't necessarily a, a featured performer, only with 16% usage and the three ball was not particularly aggressive there he's only uh less than two three-pointers per game it came in with a little bit of a reputation uh, as a score but I, I can't say i really saw much to believe that he's going to be a part of things anytime soon in sacramento speaking of not much to believe caleb swanigan who remember is still on his rookie scale contract as oh I, I i didn't even look at him actually to be honest well i'll just say he played 56 total minutes in all of summer league um well he has a 3.7 million team option for next year my instinct is that they should decline it whether they will or not is is vlade's prerogative so we can move yeah, on and, and he's been on the gershon yabusele uh, meal plan as well unfortunately unfortunately sacramento also drafted kyle guy 55th he was out of uva shot 43 percent total and in his junior year there ended up 18 to 52 so that's 35 percent in 200 minutes in summer league i liked a little bit of a, a little bit of what he showed another one of those you know like late bottom end of the roster type of guys and if it works out awesome and if it doesn't you you didn't lose that much but despite him shooting the three pretty well he just wasn't super effective from two that's what made him a below average uh effectiveness overall in summer league but 22 years old totally fine to just roll it out with him for a year and see what you have and sacramento has like they're an, uh, kind of an underratedly deep team so they don't need guys like kyle guy and justin james this year but it'd be nice for sure yeah now wenyan gabriel also uh, is on a two-way there um but uh, i can't say i watched that much and we kind of we're focusing on the guys uh, with guaranteed nba money uh, for this year san antonio really exciting group here uh, and that began uh, with lonnie walker who uh was really one of the breakout players of the 2019 summer league yeah he absolutely was walker averaged 25 points six rebounds one assist and 1.3 steals in 28 minutes a game yeah i was at one of his best games there were, there were a couple of contenders for that he had i'm trying to remember who it was against he had 32 in six on 12 of 23 from the field and what what i found so interesting about lonnie walker's kind of his performance was he was dynamic he put up crazy numbers but it was distinctly non-spurs you know he did a, a lot with the ball in his hands it was more i mean it, he kind of bridges the gap between like i wondered about how demar Derozan would fit like demar Derozan's game is a little bit more spursy than lonnie walker but because lonnie walker just doesn't pass that much he does a lot off the dribble but i enjoy watching him and he also looked better not all the way there but he looked better to me defensively and that's another part that can make him a little bit more spursy yeah i mean the biggest thing was he just really popped uh, athletically and that was the number one thing that stuck out to me he was just getting into the lane he's also now able to change speeds a little bit he also can push it hard in transition uh i also really like his ability to rise up off the dribble uh quickly quick release gets great rise on the jump shot looks recovered from uh those two knee surgeries that, that he's had and it, if the ball continues going in for him from mid-range you know it could look pretty good for him uh and, and he also mixed that in uh with getting to the basket especially going to his right had a couple of decent over the shoulder passes uh, on drives uh, when the defense committed to him uh, to find the role man but as you mentioned one assist was not incredibly encouraging although as we've said many times summer league is a rather now one assist per game i should say summer league is a rather low assist uh environment uh 
it, some of the best stats uh, of anyone in summer league is a pick and roll ball handler 19 of 37 that was 94th uh, percentile 50 percent of his possessions came out of pick and roll uh and then a full 72 percent uh was transition or pick and roll now he was only 4 13 from three in four games uh he just wasn't spotting up uh and then in the g league last year it's it a little bit of 34 out of 95 36 percent the interesting question is going to come here and you mentioned his defensive potential as well where does he fit in in a very crowded spurs backward they've still got patty mills at the one they've got Bryn forbes marco bellinelli and then of course uh, murray and white uh, look to be the starters so I, I think i could see walker not playing that much earlier in the year we'll see how this spurs season goes if you know maybe bellinelli could just be about done maybe mills takes a step back you know we'll see how well murray and white are playing so you know it could be another year where walker is kind of struggling to get minutes the other thing that could maybe open up more of a role for him would be if there were a demar Derozan trade and you know walker does have some Derozan-esque elements in his game uh as far as being able to create shots out of the pick and roll and for all of the ability that murray and white have among these other young guys you know they don't have that ability to really pick and roll create uh the way that walker did so certainly though uh, for a guy that we heard little from last year in part due to the injury very encouraging sign for him uh well, I want to yeah, talk, there are a couple other things i want to mention with with walker one is this definitional question of what the spurs are going to be two to three years from now and some of that involves what they decide with demar Derozan over the next couple of years and lamarcus and a few other things but as you mentioned with what walker brings to the table it is distinctly different than Dejounte and Derek white so how do they want to piece that together it's more of a circumstance where there aren't really right or wrong answers it's just how do you what do you prioritize what do you want but they do have to do that and part of it i mean you you mentioned a little bit but i want to i want to emphasize this lonnie walker scored 25 points a game and only took on on 34 usage and only had nine spot up shots the entire summer so think about how different that is than a lot of what san antonio has done and it might even lead to a circumstance where depending on coaching them and everything else that maybe you maybe he's a good player but he's just not good for where they want to go or maybe they go more in the lonnie walker direction in 2020 or 21 yeah and perhaps he'll just be so good that he's just going to force his way onto the floor we'll see i mean again he is he is a tough fit with DeRozan uh, in particular but a lot of guys are keldon johnson i was surprised to see because you know the way we do this a lot of times is I'll, I'll watch the games live i'll take some notes and then as we're preparing for the show we'll go back look at the stats watch some more film and kind of consolidate our initial impressions and i thought you know some of my notes were that his catch and shoot release looked really smooth that i liked his jump shot a lot and then i was surprised to see that in five games he was only three for nine on threes uh overall uh but i did think the jump shot looked good in terms of getting it off quickly not too much of a dip especially from the corners i think he can be a, a spot up threat pretty soon and then uh, the other thing that i liked was his quick feet defensively now he can't jump at all but he's strong and he can move his feet pretty well and he's got solid length uh and so i think if he can add that to the three-point shooting you know we could see him become a, a valuable player maybe as soon as a, a year or two from now trying to work his own offense it didn't look good particularly you know he did some pick and roll uh two points out of 11 possessions uh, was not great uh, only had two assists and then getting to the room he likes to well, i shouldn't say likes to but has to settle for floaters uh, a lot you know he is strong maybe he can add a little bit of a post game uh at some point uh but you know i don't see him being someone who's going to get to the basket and finish he just doesn't have the explosiveness either to create separation initially or to finish at the rim but if he can defend and hit shots you know he doesn't need that and when you're looking at a 29th pick uh 
you know, I think he has a skill set where, you know, if you need someone to lead a team, you're not going to pick him necessarily. But as someone who can fit in around superior players, he could end up being pretty valuable. Johnson, six foot six, two ten. What he was listed at, this will be his age twenty season. Coming. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's he's like a strong two ten if that's what he yeah. is. I, I mean, well, I, we'll see. I we'll see if the listing if he, changes. It could it could bump up significantly as yeah. as an NBA. That's just what real. Yeah, I mean, right if, if I, looking at him, if I had to guess, I would have said he was like two twenty five. That was that was my guess too. Age twenty year. Uh, what I what I appreciated about Kelton Johnson was how often he was around the ball. Sometimes that was as an opportunistic rebounder. You know, so it, it, like that usually is a sign of recognition because summer league can be very disjointed. You have all these guys that have never played together. A lot of them are new to the coaching staff and everything else. So it's something I look for is just are they around or good things happening. And so I like that with Kelton Johnson. But one thing to mention, you talked about you know like the pathway to him being a reliable player. You could look at something like Jared Dudley, but remember how important the jump shot is for Jared Dudley's success. You know, he's a smart player, does all these other things well, but if, if his jump shot were a little bit less reliable, that would hurt his all-around value. And so that's going to be an important part of the equation for Kelton Johnson as well. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, Dudley is a guy who gets a lot of comparisons. Um, you know, I'd say Johnson has more athleticism than Dudley. And is, du- is Dudley just well. like the, for guys that obviously can't get the Draymond Green comparisons, like he's just the next guy? <laughs> um, quickly, uh, Quindary Witherspoon going to be uh, on a two-way, was drafted at the very end of, of the second round. Did have a 19-point game uh, against Charlotte uh, and was effective as a pick-and-roll ball handler, 23 points on 24 possessions. Uh, you know, it didn't really take a, a ton of threes but uh looked reasonably competent from out there and the other observation i had is that he doesn't have the quickest first step but his second step actually was was pretty fast at getting to the basket and was able to create some separation that way if he was able to get his shoulder uh past his man initially so you know he's going to be on the two-way the spurs like to develop these guys uh lucas samanich was a very interesting guy to me i'm interested to hear your impressions of him so samanich is somebody that we've seen if memory serves going all the way back to i think it was the 2017 hoop summit and despite him being 19 right now he turns 20 in january and i see samanich as a player who has an intriguing skill set but a skill set that might not be incredibly useful there's this group of guys i've talked about it at various levels it was once a criticism i had of jason tatum where they're good with the ball in their hands but the question is are they good enough to actually do that against nba competition and i'm not all the way there with samanich but then then the question becomes is his jump shot good enough and you know there, there were times where it, it looked that way he was 34 percent last year in overall play for uh for union olympia uh, i'm gonna totally screw up the pronunciation of his euro team anyway his euro team and so i think he might might get there but it is always nice to have a guy who's comfortable with the ball in his hands who's six foot ten like that's that's pretty exciting so i enjoyed watching him play but i'm a little bit concerned that the jump from summer league to the nba is going to not be kind to him at least at this stage in Samanich's career now maybe two to three years from now he's a little bit stronger has fleshed out his game those things matter a lot less and that's actually going to be when the Spurs care yeah I, I thought he had some similarities to Dario Saric and in particular he was more mobile and more active than I thought he likes to set screens both on and off the ball he moves quickly off the ball he runs the floor uh he has some passing vision to make uh plays right in front of him either when he's driving on closeouts or uh from the high post he actually had 13 assists in summer league which for a guy of his ilk is not bad uh overall you know it seems to have a very high skill level he was uh 
you know just the diversity of the ways in which he can attack you know whether it's posting spotting up drives handling the ball in transition uh you know, he's actually even to be able to put together some combination moves off the dribble going behind the back. He's got a pretty quick release uh, from three, although I think he, he'll passes up a few too many spot ups for drives that it don't go anywhere. I mean, he doesn't have elite quickness by any means, but the issue is, you know, the it didn't amount to anything efficient. You know, he was five out of 19 on jumpers in the half court and only six out of 16 around the rim. If he gets going all the way to the rim, he could maybe try for a dunk off of one foot, but limited two foot explosion. So is all this just like kind of sexy looking and enjoyable and then you look down and he is shooting 40 percent or can he actually continue to build on some of these skills where you wonder you know what is his calling card it's not necessarily shooting yet i think he was 31 percent from three in europe last year off the top of my head uh is it gonna be passing is it gonna be driving against closeout he's a huge question mark defensively now the spurs have had success with this type of player before where he knows how to play he's got some skill level he can fit in in a bunch of different areas but he's gonna have to take some significant steps forward in terms of actually not only theoretically being able to do all these things but actually being able to do at least some of them yeah that'll be interesting to see and on a rookie scale contract as the 19th pick in the draft they have a little bit of time to develop and decide i just want to briefly mention because of the numbers drew eubanks eubanks played three years at oregon state is now in the second year on a two-way played 21.6 minutes a game and averaged 15.6 points and 5.8 rebounds on 74 percent true shooting like he just put up friggin numbers in summer league yeah eubanks uh, had some minutes uh, with the spurs last year it played a lot in the g league of course uh, on a two-way is a lot of raw shot blocking ability i wouldn't put it past him uh, for him uh, to become a player and, he, and he's he's one of the more uh, athletic bigs in the g league he's actually a little younger than i thought he was it seems like he's been around forever for some reason uh but that is not in fact the case uh we can turn now to the utah jazz and a uh, mie oni uh who uh, was drafted by them very late in the second round but did get one guaranteed year at the manual yeah i was surprised uh for those who haven't listened to it i did a real gm radio with david Locke and adam Maris talking about the northwest division which the jazz are of course part of and he talked about how he thinks there's a distinct chance that Oni is a part of the Jazz rotation, at least for parts of this year. That really surprised me because their depth has been such a strength in other years, though, of course, that's toned down now. Oni played at Yale, 21, 6'6", 210. And yeah, an interesting an interesting little kind of overall game. The, the Jazz have made use of kind of players that can shoot the ball well enough that teams have to respect it and can make good decisions. So I do think that there's a possibility that Oni fits in, and it would be a great success story for the guy who was the third to last pick in the draft to be a part of their part of their future are part of their rotation in the future much less this this year yeah now with that guarantee that he got the jazz were able to get very late guarantee dates uh just the league-wide cut down date the next two years so i think that was probably part of why he was able to get a full guarantee for this year at 6-6 with a 6-11 wingspan he's really a, a two uh, but he had some impressive one-on-one defensive moments, impressive moments getting over screens defensively. Uh, his offensive game is going to be, I think, pretty much spotting up, but he did that well, 14 out of 37. Uh, lots of versatility to the jump shot. He had some quick spot-ups on the move and transition coming off of screens uh, and took five three-pointers uh, per game. Again, he was he was not asked to do hardly anything on ball. And this, I, I thought it, it was noteworthy. I, I kind of liked the Jazz approach. A lot of these guys, it's like oh we want you to expand your game and maybe that makes more sense for a guy in his second go around in summer league but for one i think they just wanted to put him in the role that he would 
could realistically be on even though you know this wasn't a jazz team with any roster guys working as creators they still had him really off the ball uh he took five shots around the rim in seven games in the half court that is and he missed all of them that is not good um he did take 37 percent of his shots at the rim at yale but he, i mean again this is you know not playing the toughest schedule in the world he only converted 58 percent of those uh it seemed to be more an issue of touch than athleticism as far as finishing and he does as mentioned have those long arms but i think you know the, the three and d archetype at the two uh for oni is uh the way that he profiles and i thought it, he given where he was picked you know i think he has a chance i totally uh, i don't know if he's going to be in the rotation uh you know you hear that about your grayson allens and your tony bradley's and your uh trey lyles the year that like they had a million guys in the, in the front court uh, out of utah every year and they do a good enough job developing guys to be sure so i, I don't know that i would project him to be in the rotation but i think he has a chance which again you know given the track record of guys drafted that late uh, is a compliment to be sure you just mentioned tony bradley i want I wanted, before I get into it, I want to get your thoughts on, on what he did in the summer league. Yeah, Bradley, it's the issue with him to me was never about his actual skill set. And you'll recall he had a surgery last year as well. He's coming off of that. Um, you know, the things that he does, I think he is good at. He is a great, great offensive rebounder. He showed that here with 28 offensive rebounds in five games. That is really, really good stuff. And he's got a soft touch around the rim but not going to really get up for a ton of alley-oops. If you throw it right up next to the rim, he might be able to dunk it. He looks like he's improved his body and his explosiveness just a little bit. Uh, as a post-up guy, you know, he's not very impressive, but, you know, unless you're Carl Anthony Towns, you're probably not posting up these days uh, in the NBA. Um, but it just comes down to how valuable his skill set is, and we didn't see much again from him defensively. In this summer league, he was actually more blocks than I recalled, eight blocks in five games. I didn't see much from the, the watch about a game and a half of him live uh but you know he still doesn't profile as a great defensive player slow afoot is probably uh his biggest problem he tried to stretch it out to three at, at one out of four so you know, i think he for what he is and my relatively low expectations for him just again given the player type not necessarily being good at the skills that he's supposed to be good at you know, I, I think he had a summer league that was solid uh, but you know again just how useful he can be uh in 2020 here in the nba is quite a question Right, and that comes to a point because the Jazz have a $3.5 million option for him for not the coming season, but the following season, which they have yeah. to decide That's on. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And remember, they also, Ed Davis is already under contract for that year. And I think Ed Davis is instructive here. Now, there are many who believe that he has been underpaid and underappreciated the last couple of years. But remember, Ed Davis, talented backup center, the type of guy who you really like to have on your team, but pretty confident you don't want him starting. He's making about, Ed Davis is making about $5 million a year. And Ed Davis is... I, I think he's close to a reasonable best case scenario for somebody like Tony Bradley. And Davis is a wonderful rebounder. He doesn't have the positional size, obviously, that Tony Bradley does, but there are a lot of other things that Davis brings to the table. And so if the best case scenario for somebody like Tony Bradley at this point is, or the reasonable best case, is like a $5 million, $6, 7000000 million player, well, I mean, then you probably shouldn't, they probably shouldn't take them in the late first round in the first place. But so he exceeded my expectations, but it was also a reminder of just how limited those players are in the modern league unless you can do something so well that you that other teams have to account for you and even with the offensive rebounding numbers I don't think Bradley reaches that threshold yeah and if he's going to try to add the three to his game well then if you're standing outside the arc his main offensive skill the offensive rebounding is muted there all right uh we're just about done here still got to finish up uh, four more teams uh, with Ben don't worry Hornets Wolves Thunder and 
Pacers fans, we will take care of you next episode. Anything you want to talk about before we depart here? Yeah, I just released this week's Real Jam Radio on on Monday morning. It is the Southwest Division with Jonathan Charks of The Ringer and Rob Mahoney of Sports Illustrated. Really fun conversation. So much happened in that division. Kind of the, the thing about structuring those podcasts division by division is you, like, it's the first time I really thought about it in that collection of five. When, I just went, oh crap, a lot of things happened. So, you know, talking about the New Look Rockets and the Pels and everything else. So that's a, a great podcast. You can listen to that anytime you want. And I'll have, I should have some written material coming out in the next couple days. I'm, I started working today on something. I'm a little bit early on it compared to when I've done it in prior years, but I'm I'm hoping I can turn it around this week and they'll be at The Athletic if it comes out. All right. Yeah. Theathletic.com slash Capspace, by the way, if you want to sign up there. And we'll be back for you Wednesday night, Thursday-ish, something like that. Uh, talk to you then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.